You're listening to Passion Pod 19 with Jake Brunker. If you met someone at a dinner party, what would you introduce yourself as? A writer. So, okay. It's taken a while to get to that, but yeah, I'm in the stage of people saying, well, what kind of a writer? Now it's come more into musical theatre writing is where I've ended up. But I also write plays as well, and... I guess I'd like to to move into TV. Obviously, every writer wants to move into TV, but I genuinely do. I have a real passion for TV and drama and things like that. But no, if someone really pinned me down to the floor and said, what are you doing right now at this point in your life? It's a musical theatre writer. What was your journey into becoming that? Well, my dad was a journalist for the BBC. He had like a local radio show on BBC Radio Nottingham. So every week when a local tour would come round, he'd have to go and see it on the Monday night in order to interview someone from it the next day. So from the age of 10, rather than pay for a babysitter, my parents took me to the theatre. So I saw everything. I mean, literally every single musical that toured in the last 10 years. And I'd seen plays, you know, I'd seen classics, I'd seen Medicine Night's Dream, I'd seen Hamlet, Macbeth. But not just once, I'd seen several touring productions of it. So like, I'd seen Blood Brothers five or six times by the time I was 18, because it came every year. That's an amazing experience for yeah. you at that age. And it's invaluable. And like, no one else can really have that, I suppose, because that's completely unachievable because it's so expensive. I wouldn't be in theatre if it wasn't for that, I'm sure. But then that sort of spiralled. So in half terms, my nan lived in London, so my parents would send me away to London, get some time away from me. And my nan would then feed off that. And she'd take me up to the theatre and we'd see everything that was on the West End. So again, by the time I was 16, 17, I'd seen pretty much every single musical running in the West End. So it's sort of in your blood. I mean, it's yeah. part of your upbringing. Yeah, and, I, and not just that, but I was obsessed with it. Like, I remember the press officer at Nottingham Theatre Royal, I think must have just despaired of me coming because when there were, like, people in the shows, I'd say, oh, yes, I've seen her in this, this, that and the other. And I, I've got a really weird memory for names. So if a director would come round, I'd be like, oh, yes, well, remember, you know, he came last year with this production. Still, I've got that scary memory now. And people don't expect me to have seen them. Like, I was talking to someone today about the Boy George musical, Taboo, which is coming back. And I saw Taboo when it first came around. And I was 14 years old, maybe, when that came out. And it was so inappropriate for me to see it. It was about AIDS in the 80s, you know, and... But what an amazing thing to bring to what you're doing now. Yeah. Because, you know, that experience for someone of your age... Yeah, and even now, and through things like Twitter, people who I admired so much when I was growing up, and the the biggest one is uh, the writer of the musical The Witches of Eastwick, which was my absolute favourite. He, Dana P. Rowe, now follows uh, me and my collaborator on Twitter. And Caroline Sheen, who was one of the stars of that show, sang a song that I wrote in a cabaret last year. And... That was probably the proudest night of my career because I was like, from going from a 15-year-old fan to now these people are um, working. I I still wouldn't even say I'm working with them. I still kind of see myself sometimes as like a big fan who can't believe I'm working with them. The 15-year-old who is going in. Yeah, it wasn't long ago. I'm only 24. It was like, it's a bit cringe, really. It's amazing. I can't tell you like what a geek I was. So let's just continue that timeline. So going to the theatre all the time, Mm -hmm. went off to uni, did lots of it at uni. Yeah, and just before I went to uni, I got really lucky. I was chosen as a winner of a new writing festival in Nottingham, where I'm from. So that meant that through uni, I had a really nice thing on my CV that meant I could have meetings in London, and I got onto the Royal Court Writers Group. Just out of a logistics thing, Mm. are you sending off stuff for that, or are you being asked to join those things? No, I sent off. Like, I really was... uh, the person who sat in my room and wrote plays. I remember someone asked me in college, actually, they said, when do you have the time to do this? How do you find the time? And for me, playwriting and writing was more my hobby as much as other people would be like going to see football on a Saturday afternoon or playing out in the park. Mine was writing. 
sort of second nature in a funny kind of way. Yeah, and then not having the fear when you're at that age, like, of sending out. And I still don't really have that fear. Like, I think I'd rather a first draft of my work went on and people could have an opinion about it than to write eight drafts that make it perfect, so to speak, and then get it on. I've, I'm always still interested in that original, you know, how you are when you first write something. I think that's where, you're, where your passion for something comes through. And also that confidence, as you say, that's a hugely big barrier for a lot of people perhaps that are doing similar things. The more that one does it and pushes yourself to do it... Perhaps... The less the fear is, I think. Yeah. You know, you don't get scared. I only ever get nervous, like, seconds before my work comes on. Because up until then, my mind's just working on the project and just hoping it goes well. But then... It's only when I realise, oh God, now people are actually going to see it. But that shows how much your passion is for the whole entire process. Yeah. And like I say, I'm still so, so early. Like, I've learned so much just working around directors and working around actors. Like, I will now never give notes to actors. Obviously, you know, that's what you don't do. But I didn't know that when I started out. Like, you learn these things just through practice and having a trust with a director or a producer or whoever it may be, whoever reads your work. And I've got, like, a closed group of people who will be the first people who read my scripts and give me their honest opinions because there's nothing worse than giving someone a script and them saying it's great because they don't trust you enough to say it's actually terrible how have you built that up has that been something over time has that been people you've met is that yeah and different people with different things like sending my mum something i'll be getting her you know joe public opinion on it my mum watches you know normal tv and she goes to see things like mamma mia at the theater she's your average theater goer whereas if i send it to my agent she's looking for something completely different and then if I look, give it to my actor friends, they're looking for, is it a good part? And it's amazing when you give something to an actor, they'll be obsessed about the characters, whereas if a director will be obsessed about the story. It's lovely to have that whole mixture, though. Yeah, and as the writer, like, I certainly feel only a small part of that process. I much prefer working with other people from the beginning on something. And I love writing for specific actors. I've done that. I've, I'd say I do that more often than not. Why do you think that is? Hearing their voices, knowing their talents... I know you shouldn't be restrictive about what you write for. You should write them to do anything. But I really get inspired by the right people. I, for example, from my childhood idol was a man called Kenneth Alan Taylor. Still is. And he was the artistic director of Nottingham Playhouse and Oldham Coliseum. And he was the annual pantomime dame at Nottingham Playhouse. And last year, I saw one of my friends who I'd worked with who'd done a play with him. And I Facebooked my friend saying, I can't believe you've just been in a play with my idol. And um, I wrote a play for the two of them. I wrote a two-hander for them. And uh, we're still trying to get it on, actually, because neither of them are famous, so like it's very difficult to get that kind of project off the ground. For me, I enjoyed writing it, if nothing else, just for writing for that voice, because someone I admired so much. But you're so driven, aren't you? Yeah, I'm very particular, I guess. Like, I won't do anything I don't want to do, which I suppose is bad in a lot of ways. I don't know, I don't, I don't play the game. I think every time I try and do something because it's, oh, I must write a play that's dark or deep, it just goes wrong, and I'm a very commercial kind of everyman writer I suppose like I say the fact that I send all my work to my mum I like to write for things that everyone would enjoy to coming to see I don't like writing work that's just too clever and that's one of the things that Kenneth Arnold Taylor this man who had been inspired by he, he used to have a, a series of rules for his pantomimes like that he must never have in jokes amongst the cast you must never have adult material that only adults get the children have got even if it's an innuendo the children must find the joke funny but it's interesting there's an inclusive element yeah and there's that great book I don't know if you've ever read it by the um creator of Saatchi and Saatchi and it's just really simple advice about what people in the advertising agency sort of use and one of the things he says is give out as much as you can and you'll get back 
So, like, for example, if I see, like, parts that friends are right for, if I hear someone's casting something, you know, I'll ring them straight away and be like, you must try and get seen for this, or, you know, really cliche, what goes around comes around. People now will ring me and go, oh, well, I've got this thing, do you want to come and do it? Not because of that, I've given it out to everyone else, but, you know, I think that there's an element of we all sort of, everyone tries to help each other. And being open, yeah, you know. definitely. And even if you don't enjoy it, I think that's the thing, like, I've got reasons for why I don't enjoy things. So I think that rather than having everyone going, oh, you're so amazing. And I find the same with my writing. I don't like people just to go, oh, it was great. I really enjoyed it. I'm like, well, what does that mean? But yeah, I want that honesty back from them about my work. When you came out of university mm-hmm. and you, you're writing obviously full time, mm-hmm. how did you make that work financially? This is still one of the ongoing things, even now. I mean, like very few people can survive as writers. For example, there's a playwright at the Royal Court called Bola, who she's had like three or four plays produced at the Royal Court but she still works a completely full-time job because the money just isn't enough to survive on. You have to be very savvy to be able to do that. So when I, I was very lucky when I came out of uni, I wrote a show that was at Edinburgh Festival that um, got quite a lot of attention and there was a big producer in the audience and he said, you know, what are you doing now? And I said, oh, I'm going to move to London. And he said, well, how are you going to eat? How are you going to pay your bills? And I was like, oh, I'll think about it when I get there. And he was like, no, no. He said, come and work for me. Come and work in my office and you know, answer my phones, read scripts that come in. So I basically did like a everything and anything job for him for like two and a half years so that was I was very very lucky to have that but now you know since I've not worked for them full-time I do a lot of teaching mainly for Emmanuel School in Wandsworth Common I sort of am a visiting director there which is weird because it's not to do with writing but I direct their school productions I'm just about to go to Edinburgh Festival with them with a project that I've done for them and that was through you writing off to them or was it yeah yeah yeah, totally just I wrote to them and I was like hi this is my CV can I come in and work with your kids? Yeah, again, it's the right place, right time sort of thing. Or it's putting yourself out there. Which yeah, really I'd never, I mean, I'd never taught a workshop before in my life. And I did. And then thank God it worked out because that's actually been the biggest financial uh, saviour for me as a writer is having this work. And not only that, but I really enjoy it. But then that's also, I guess, it, you know, they're feeding into each other, these two tranches of your... Absolutely. Like, I very much feed off the energy. It sounds so pretentious, but they are inspiring and I'd much rather go and do that and, and also they want to be there and because that's what I wanted to do when I was a kid I see a lot of myself in that as well I think the other thing to say is that time management and things like that is like it's, it's so dull but one of the side effects of choosing to do that kind of part-time teaching work is that I've learned to live incredibly cheaply about to move into a very cheap rent flat for example I just try and cut corners wherever I can I don't I'm not, I'm not eating bread and dripping but like I'm just very careful with money. I'd rather work less and have more time to write than work a a busy job that meant I didn't have time to write. So I'd rather live very, very cheaply at this stage of my career because I feel like the time invested now is worth coming off later. It's a fantastic thing to say that because I've no one's mentioned that yet. I think that's really constructive because it's different ways to realise your passion. Yeah. It's a different approach perhaps than a lot of people have thought about. I mean, I was at dinner a couple of months ago with my brother-in-law's family and the dad said to me at the t- dinner table, he said, what do you actually do all day? And I laughed it off and everyone at the table laughed because everyone in my family sort of sees me as this dosser. And um, we kind of carried on the conversation. They said, no, I'm serious. What do you actually do all day? Do you, know, do you just sit in cafes writing? And I was like, oh, I actually do. Like, I really do go to Starbucks and sit there with my free Wi-Fi and my 99p coffee. So, yeah, you do have to be very time strict, I suppose. And 
I go to the gym a lot because it's, it's a consistent, I suppose. I try and go to the gym every day around 10 o'clock in the morning. Is that through experience that you found that out? Yeah. So I'll do yeah. that in the morning. Yeah. I, you know, it's through trial and error. And right? also, very often I work from home. So, like, I have to go to the gym because I have to get out of the flat because you can't stay cooped up all day. I often, very often write in the library, Clapham Junction Library I used to live in. I love having deadlines. Deadlines are the best thing because if you don't have a deadline, there's nothing to aim towards. And I'd much rather people gave me quick short deadlines because you do you do them if you were to give advice to someone that was keen to pursue their writing what would be sort of nuggets that you wish you'd been told wow (laughs) the main thing is to see as much as you can i go to the theater for three or four nights a week and i'll see things in previews as well i hate reviews coming out first because then if it gets a bad review i won't go but it's very often things i like are the things that get bad reviews so yes see a lot read a lot and i think trust in what you like I've learned. I hate Shakespeare. I could be very happy if I never saw Shakespeare again. And people go, oh my God, you're a writer. How can you say that? It's just not for me. It's not what I want to write. It's not what I'm about. And then I think just getting your work on, certainly through the time we're going through at the moment where there are there is no money to do anything and, and there are cuts, just not expecting to get things in the conventional way, I suppose. So with my collaborator, we're just, we've just found a book literally yesterday. There's no money. We're going to say, we really love your book. Can we please just go and write it and then hope for the best that someone likes it? So it's scary. Yeah, but it's like all of this stuff is. It's like putting yourself out there. Take yeah. the risk. Most of the stuff, even now I do, a lot of it is for free. I've made next to nothing from writing yet. I, I like to think it will all pay off one day. But... You do have to, certainly in the climate at the moment, you have to put yourself out there and do all these things in any space you can. Now, a lot of my stuff is performed in like concerts and things like that, which is such a small little platform, but it's a platform anywhere, and we go to them all the time. I think a really important thing to say is that a lot of stuff stays in development, and very often you can seem like you're not really doing very much. Uh, this is specific advice to writers. You have to just write it out with actors your agent can ring you and say hey tomorrow you're going to be seen for a new part in skins or misfits or whatever and then a week later you can suddenly get the series lead as a writer you will never wake up the next day i mean sure in like hollywood you could get hired as the writer of a new blockbuster but you are in charge of your own career because it's not going to happen overnight for you it's a slow burn process very very slow burn so with adrian mole which i'm currently writing the theatre, Lester Curve, had read a play that I'd written and liked it. I then got my agent to do a rights check on Adrian Mole. The rights weren't available. There was a film being made. The agent then called back six months later and said the rights have become available. I then went back to the theatre who liked my playwriting and said, look, you know, you're Lester. Sue Townsend is from Lester. This is a Lester project. They sat down. They had some serious business meetings about it and then decided that they could afford financially to support us on that. But that didn't come overnight. Like that, You know, that was from a, a big series of them having seen that we were emerging in our own area and, and the artistic director had seen bizarrely a university production of, a sh- of the show we wrote Edinburgh sort of four years ago so that took time you could never have gone in and done Adrian Mole overnight like it still took I'd say four years of us just emerging as creatives to get that opportunity so patience yeah yeah huge amount of patience yeah and and finding the right project for the right people at the right time so when I first got an agent I was flapping I was I want you to send this to everyone and anyone and sometimes I still get that when I get through a period of like if something slows down I'll then suddenly go oh my god send this I've written to this star and she's like of course dear and pats me away that just doesn't do it and then by that time I've calmed down but that's something you really and I'm still learning that now and I'm sure that as time goes on I'll learn that even more I'm not spiritual or anything about things happen for a reason or anything like that but like 
No, I think none of it's ever wasted. Just waiting for the right time and the right moment. And slowly it will accumulate and come together. You've been listening to Passion Pod 19 with Jake Brunger. Yeah.